0: Like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top. <laughs> Subic break back. Across the ground. Bam! In comes Donnie Werthold. Got it out to a oh. kick. smothered. Check. Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the
1: original? we only Spin. Grips. Goal. Superb from the Eagles. Kicks inside. 50. McGovern. McGovern. What a play. She needs to be in perfect. Yes,
2: the eagle has landed for the in 2018. G'day everyone, welcome to the West Coast Eagles Big Footy Podcast for another week. I'm your host Honey Badger 35. Coming up on this week's show, we'll recap the Eagles' resounding win over the Bulldogs. We'll look to the future with both Waffle and Under 18s coverage. Plus, we will preview this week's trip to the SCG where the Eagles will hope to break a 20-year hoodoo. Joining me this week, back by popular demand, please welcome Miguel Sanchez. How are you?
1: I'm good. Uh, not sure about popular demand, but I'm still here hanging around like a bad smell.
2: There was a bit of outcry when you left slash half-left the board. I know your account's still floating around in there somewhere, but I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say popular demand, so great to have you back on the show.
1: Sure, I'll take it.
2: Also joining us this week, making their Big Footy podcast debut, it is my pleasure to introduce Asterix The Gaul. How are you?
0: I'm very well, thank you. Going nicely.
2: As are the West Coast Eagles, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But Asterix fair to say you're a bit of a draft watcher, under eighteens watcher, that sort of that sort of area of expertise, is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, I enjoy a bit of that shit, so it's quite good fun. Yeah, especially during the off weeks when we're we're not playing in Perth. Um like to go and watch a bit of the occasional Colts, and I'm a Claremont fan, so I like to go and watch those games and yeah. Get to see an insight to the future. Perfect. Catch up a bit with um, Monical. He's, he's pretty keen on that as well.
2: So we should get a little bit of insight then, and it's a good week for it. We've obviously got a bit of a Claremont angle this week. We've got some under 18s. And as always, we've got the Beagles to cover. We will get to that. But first, let's dive straight into the round 11 recap. West Coast Eagles, 21 7 133, defeated the Western Bulldogs 10 12 72 bit of a back and forth game in the early stages, uh, a couple of melts and a little bit of stress on the board, but boy, as has become a little bit of a familiar sight lately, after halftime, the Eagles flick the switch, they go on to demolish the Dogs and record, at least on paper, our best win of the season. Asterix, for you, what did you see out of that game? How pleased were you with the result? And basically, what's the takeaway after the halfway point of the season for the Eagles?
0: Halfway, 8-3, and three. I would have taken that any day of the week at the start of the season. Um, as you say, it's been a bit up, up and down this year. What I really liked, I think this is about as close to a four-quarter effort that we've had this year. The first quarter, as you said, was a bit of an arm tussle. Thought the uh, the doggies were a, probably ahead, but not on the scoreboard. And the way we ploughed, especially that third quarter, that was champagne football. I think it's about as good as we've seen the Eagles for about, uh, oh gosh, for some time that third quarter. Really turned it on. Love the intent. I think Simo's obviously challenged them to be hard at it. And I think, I'm not sure who it was, but they said, angry yo, isn't he fantastic? Um, and, And I've got to say, the thing I probably picked away from Sunday night was I'm impressed as to how well... Uh, Gaff has been going as an inside mid and at clearances. I was probably on the board of not wanting him to be as inside as he was and not at the clearances, but I have to tap my hat off to him. The last couple of weeks, he's been magnificent. So, yeah.
2: Very pleasing to see. Look, he touched on the fourth quarter or four-quarter effort, and last week against the Crows, very clear that we played a solid three quarters and with a big yep. switch off in the second quarter. But... Every week now, the Eagles seem to be picking up a little bit more steam, a little bit more momentum uh, as the week and as the season goes on. Miguel, for you, your takeaway from the Dogs game?
1: Yeah, the second half is very pleasing. Obviously, um, first half we were, I suppose, we we're up for the up for the fight and um, being quite um, quite aggressive. But the the Bulldogs seem to be sort of cutting us to ribbons at time through the midfield with their handball game. So, yeah, I'm not sure what um, what adjustments they made at halftime to address that, but um, it felt at halftime like we hadn't necessarily played badly, but it felt like we were a bit lucky to be in front. The Bulldogs had squandered a lot of chances. So very pleasing that they came out after halftime and um, – Put in the the third quarter that Asterix said the best we've played in some time. I think it's the best anyone's played. It's the highest scoring quarter of anyone this year. I think uh, the disposal efficiency was about ninety percent or something by foot. And yeah, that was that was phenomenal. Um, uh, personal highlights obviously Jake Waterman's little um, five minute purple patch in the the third quarter.
2: Five minutes, mate. Two minutes. two minutes was <laughs> two, two yeah
1: yeah that was fantastic. But he um I thought he had a a pretty good overall game. Uh, he, he was quite active in the, the first quarter with his link-up play. Um, maybe a little bit quieter in the second, but, yeah, sort of a, a breakout game for him. Uh, Darling, obviously, a, a highlight as well. Um, yeah, obviously, the downside is Hearn sitting out the whole the whole final quarter and uh, we're going to be missing him against Sydney, which is uh, a big blow given our record over there. But, yeah, overall, probably our best win of the year. And, um, as Asterix said, you know, eight and three. At the halfway point you'd you'd take that any year, you'd especially take it after five weeks ago we were three and three and folding the club.
0: Hey Miguel, just just wondering your your comment with um with Waterman and Darling. I noticed a number of times how much deeper Jack was playing and he was really in the square, to a point I was calling out, buddy move your ass and get him to, to lead a few times but I think Waterman allowed uh, the way Waterman was playing that link up half forward allowed Jack to be so much deeper, and the bit of chemistry was starting to show.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's right, definitely. And Kennedy didn't seem to be like you'd think with with his age and uh, his strength and marking ability as well. You'd play him one out, but they seemed to be getting Kennedy a bit more up the ground and um, letting Darling take his opponent one out. I can't recall who was on him most often. Oh,
0: darling, think. Darling, most of the night was um, Cordy.
1: Oh, okay,
0: yeah. Which I thought would have been a physical good matchup for Jack, but Jack just monstered him. Yeah. He was pushing and shoving and chucking him to the ground quite happily.
1: Yeah, he was definitely on, and um, most of our forward line was on, which was good.
0: And it tells me when, when Jack's going for some of those um, throw-ins and he's doing the rucking, I think, I think that's the right thing because it's actually told him to be tough and be strong as against being his pussy little full forward <laughs> and wait for the ball to come to him.
2: Yeah, I first noticed the rucking in the Adelaide game. He took a few, and we obviously got a direct goal in the Adelaide game. He knocked it down to Rioli, but it is that thing getting getting some touch and just bumping your opponent, getting a little bit more physical. And much like the angry yo comment you made earlier, asterix, you know, an angry Jack Darling or a physical Jack Darling is just so much more fun to watch in full flight. Yeah, doesn't flop? No, pushes back. Doesn't put his arm out for tackles. He just wants to kill someone. It's it's. Certainly a lot more engaging to watch, and the rewards and the results speak for themselves. Um, Just while we're on the forward line, we touched on it a few weeks ago with the inclusion of Rioli, and that was a uh, milestone in the season that a lot of fans were hoping for. You know, the forward mix, the efficiency, it all start getting back to normal. So this week we've kicked goals in 40% of our inside 50s. Now the league average is about 23%, so obviously the efficiency is great to see. I just want to shout out Jamie Cripps. Throughout our win streak, throughout, so we've won five in a row, he's averaging 17 disposals. He's averaging two goals a game. He's kicked a goal, at least a goal, in every one of those games. He's covering the ground beautifully. I believe a few weeks ago he we even set some record for distance covered or he cracked into the top five all time, something like that. He's just flying along, but he's doing it quite under the radar, Asterix. Don't you agree?
0: Yeah, he, he's, he's like just on the cusp of votes for, for me each week. And you think he's, he's done some really good things. It was interesting, just on Cripps, I think there was a comment by Fadex on a telecast that um, Cripps had taken Waterman under his, um, his, his wing and was teaching him the, how to go about the gut running from the half forward and getting back. Um, so it's so it's not only just what we're seeing on the field, it's that leadership side that he's, he's standing up to as well. So all good news.
2: Yeah, terrific news. With the gut running, and it is pleasing to see, uh, there was one passage of play, I believe it was Darling's first goal, or perhaps his first goal of the second half, but it was one where we got it over the back. There was a turnover in the middle. Hutchings worked it into, I think, Rioli, who's banged it long to Darling for a goal over the back. I'm pretty confidently going to say it was his third goal. But anyway, I'll drop the clip into the thread if I remember. The point of that is... Cripps is listed and starting as a forward in the build-up and the passage of play. But then there's a stoppage on the wing and Cripps attends it. He's at the stoppage. But also, he's the handball option for Jack Darling over the back, who muscles his opponent and kicks a goal, because he's seen that we're going that way and just busted his ass to get from the wing down to the forward pocket. He is absolutely killing it from a gut-running point of view. And everything's just clicking. It's, it's looking brilliant. And as you said earlier, uh, champagne footy. Miguel... For you, any, any thoughts on Cripps or Rioli, Ryan, any of these guys? Forward mix is just looking absolutely marvellous at the moment,
1: right? Yeah, it's looking fantastic at the moment. Um, obviously, we'll have an issue coming up where we've got to fit um, Nat Nui into it. Um, we've got uh, Venables, who's missing or he's missing at the moment with concussion. but So we've got a bit of depth there as well. And, um, and you know, Jared Cameron's been in the mix a little bit as well. So, yeah, it, it's looking fantastic at the moment. Um, I just remember... A couple of, it must have been a couple of years ago because it was in just a long years' time, but I interviewed him for a podcast um, back when I was doing that, and he made specific mention of Cripps' pre-season and just the amount of running he's doing. So it's something that he's uh, been focusing on for quite a number of years now. Um, and, yeah, he'd, he'd be one of our best gut-running athletes, I think.
2: Look, while we're talking elite gut-runners and some of the best athletes in the squad, Asterix, you touched on it earlier, and I'll throw to you here, Andrew Gaff... I mean, he's working into form wonderfully over the last few weeks, but there's every chance that this was his best game on the weekend. You know, he's come away with 36 disposals. He's marking the ball around the ground. He's marking it out of the half-back line. He's giving us link-up option, but he's been really damaging as well, running through his kick and getting us some good, strong inside 50s. He went inside 50s seven times from Andrew Gaff. So, obviously, you were impressed by his game. You touched on it earlier. You know, what what do you make of his game and his role?
0: Well, I thought the role that he had in... um in Adelaide it was slightly different. He was, he was going back more to the half-back flank and playing more of that link-up, um, especially in the second half. On Sunday, I was on level five, so you don't get as good a view as to exactly what's happening with the specifics coming out of the guts. And when I watched it later on, I realised how many times he got his hands first on the ball or the loose ball and just moved it forward. And it, yeah, It was sometimes a bit ugly. Um, just getting it forward, but then it ended up in a clean possession. So that's the part that I actually hadn't seen um, from Gaff. It's uh, Did that inside, mid, and bustling away. Not the heavy ball tackling one, but getting your hands on the ball and kicking it as fast as you can. Not saying he's got the same pace, but more the danger field type role that put it out in the open and I'll run onto it. And that that was the part. I think he had... I don't know. I don't have the stats in front of me, but his inside, um, well, his centre um, square clearances were fantastic. And as you said, he, he, his gut running on the on the flanks, he just gave us options all the time. Uh,
2: a little bit of sizzle for later on when we get to the question time. We will be answering uh, a question about Andrew Gaff, so stay tuned for that one. Miguel, I'll throw to you here. 72 points allowed. It's not terrific. You know, it's not certainly not bad, but it's not. That wasn't the staple. Uh, of this game. The the narrative of the game wasn't how phenomenal our backs performed. And yet, I think it's fair to say that they deserve a lot of praise for the effort. Uh, The Dogs, as we all touched on earlier, you know, maybe were on top in the passage of play earlier on in the game, but held them to two goals for the first two quarters and then three for each of the last two quarters as well. So pretty strong effort from the back line and, and any standouts
1: for you there? I think Schofield did a really good job on, he was on Norton for most of the game, um, kept him quiet. Norton's obviously a a pretty inexperienced forward, but he's, um, athletic and uh, he was sort of, he was their main target, I think. So yeah, Schofield for him to, uh, and managed to get his opponent reported as well, which was good. (laughs) But yeah, for him to take the, the opponent's key forward again and shut him down is good. Um, and now we're relying on him pretty heavily at the moment in Barras's absence. Having Jetta in the back line as well, um, mm. just his, his cleanness coming out of defence is um, you know, something that I think we missed against Adelaide. I think you made the point, Badge, last week that the defence did their job really well in shutting down the Adelaide forwards, but we didn't get sort of a lot of drive off half-back and we didn't get much creativity um, off half-back. And I, I think we had that again on the weekend Probably Jeddah and Duggan with the highlights of that. And
0: see, Doug, Duggan had, a, I think he had a bit of a step up game on on Sunday. He gave us some great attacking um, football out of the defence. He's he's also learning to judge when to kill the contest and really go up for the high spoils when he's up against a man you know like Bontempi, significantly taller than him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so and just. You know, Shepard's been probably an unsung hero for a few years now and yeah, he had another good game. So, yeah, just the, the defence firing on all cylinders at the moment. they have a hole to fill this week with her now, obviously, but even, I think, in our down patch uh, in rounds four to six, I think the, the defence was holding up well and, and keeping us in games probably a lot longer than we deserved.
2: Yeah, the early season... Defence was clearly that. That was our best of the three lines. And now that the mids have picked up over the last few weeks and the forwards are getting a bit more service, everything's running a little bit more smoothly, but always important to remember and to acknowledge how significant this uh, this back six and indeed sort of the back seven. It's more of a group effort uh, that everybody's playing their role and now we're starting to get that drive off the half-back line. Look, it's it's funny. For such a resounding win, and it's somewhat of a statement win, when a few of the teams around us starting to slip here and there. I, I feel like despite the fact that it's a big statement win, there's probably not too many takeaways, you know, to be made. It was a professional effort, and it was the better team turning up, doing the job. Did everything we said we needed last week, the intent was right up. And yet, in terms of talking points out of the game, I think it was somewhat, thankfully, a little bit of a business-as-usual sort of effort. Fair to say?
0: Fair to say. I think it was a, a very even performance as well. Because you haven't you haven't mentioned Ryan and I thought Ryan had a great day as a small forward.
2: Another unsung hero in terms of work rate as well. When you when you're sitting mm. at the game you can really tell Ryan's work rate away from the contest and perhaps it doesn't always translate, but for a guy that you know, there were a few questions about his work rate, he's just obliterated those. <laughs> There's no way. That like that's laughable <laughs> now.
0: Do you remember his um combine when people came back and said he got something like seven point six on the um on the uh whatever the 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 beat test and this this guy's not up to a f l standard he, he's really rectified that issue hasn't he yeah well when he played at Subie, he was
1: barely getting you know, they were just leaving him inside forward fifty and kicking it to him so he could mark on people's heads and he was no he wasn't leaving the forward fifty so Didn't he the, need yeah to? no well no but that's that's just been a massive improvement from him and um, when you hear Simpson and the other coaches talk, it's you know, they, they single that out as you know, what they're most proud of of him. Mm.
2: Uh, so I'll open this one up to either of you guys just before we wrap things up on the Doggies game. Like I say, it's it's a little barren for specific talking points, I suppose, but any other final takeaways from you? Anybody that needs a mention or anything that stood out for you in particular from Sunday?
0: I thought Vardy had a, had a good ruck knock. He even got he even took some contested marks, so he's building in confidence, and a little bit like last year, he didn't start off brilliantly last year, but he's he's settling into a pretty good amount of work, and even if Hickey's available, it'd be pretty hard to 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 knock him out.
1: Yeah, he's had a almost a bit of a soft run, I think, against um. You know, he, he obviously lowered his colours against Max Gorn, but you know since then he's played you know, Riley O'Brien, who's Adelaide's second-string ruckman, and um, Tim English, who's probably had the best better of him around the ground, but um, lost the hit out, so he, you know, he's built like a broomstick.
0: I, th- uh, I think he struggles with the really tall guy. So he struggled against Witt um, um, in, in the Suns, yeah. and he struggles against Max Gorn. So maybe that's something that says when you've got the monsters, he's, he's not going to cope. Yeah. But against the, the average size, he's okay.
2: Certainly something to watch as we move forward as well this week. Obviously, Asterix, you touched then on Hickey and his potential return, so that'll be something to watch as we get a little mm. further down the line. Uh, Miguel, from you, any, any parting thoughts before we move away from the Dogs game? So, certainly a nice win, and, and what's the what's your final say?
1: Yeah, nice win. Um, our biggest win of the year. Uh, we've got a pretty good record against the Bulldogs, so um, so yeah, nice to... Uh, continue on in that vein. Um most of the forwards got amongst it, and yeah, um nice little percentage booster for us as well, which uh, the percentage wasn't looking too flash, even though you know, we we were seven and three going in. I think we were only just barely over a hundred, so it's nice to get a little bit of that back.
2: Certainly, and as I briefly mentioned earlier as well, you know Collingwood had a slip up. Richmond had a bit of a slip up as well, and a couple of teams starting to falter here and there, so Potentially, you know we're a game clear in the top four at the halfway point, and as you've both said, if offered, I would have taken that. So certainly an interesting first half to the year. But if you just look at it on paper, the, the eight and three start with a potential to make it nine and three heading to the bye is uh, certainly a wonderful way to get the premiership defence off and running. <laughs> Moving along to the Beagles now, and a disappointing day in the curtain opener. They played at Optus just before West Coast. Uh, it was not a similar result by any stretch. 6 12 48. They were defeated by Claremont 12-7-79. Quite a frustrating one to watch. Uh, Claremont on top early and, and really pulled away. Fantastic third quarter from the Beagles, but they probably just didn't do enough to convert it into a you know on the scoreboard and, and get into a winning position. And then from there, they, I think they set themselves too much of a task and the fourth quarter was just a little bit difficult for them to go over and actually get the result. Asterix, I understand that you went along to the game. Tell me your thoughts on that and if there is anybody that the, the listeners need to be aware of that stood out.
0: Well, two, two players stood out for me as being a class above the rest and that was uh, Rotham and Nelson. And I thought uh, they were very good. It was interesting seeing Rotham. He played a little bit on um, uh, Tommy Lee and, and Lakeland. And really impressed with a couple of times with his closing speed. His judgment on that was good because Tommy Lee's actually, he ragdolls a fair few third tools in the waffle quite often. Um, But those two, I looked and I thought, well, if we've got one player that's out as a defender in in Hearn, Rodham just put his hand up and said, I'm doing very well. And I'd actually be quite comfortable in Nelson coming in as well. Um, So they were really pleasing things. Um, I was really, yeah, look, I'm probably known not to be a great master and liker, but I was hoping that he got some confidence and came back and started to attack the ball a bit better and not sit off and corral and, and wait for others to pick it up so he could tackle them and, you know, he, look, he got 30 possessions, good on him, but in comparison to Mitchell and Bolton mm. from Claremont that got the 30-plus possessions, he did sod all with his possessions and... Oh, about every second time he got a possession, either that kick or the next kick would end up in a turnover. Now I'm not saying he's always to blame in a turnover, but often he puts someone in a pretty rubbish position with a with a cheeky hand pass that's you know that that wasn't called for, or you know take it on yourself, mate, and go and go and get the ball further down and. He was lobbing it a bit on people's heads. So I wasn't happy with Marston. I don't know if he's got some confidence issues with his injury or what it might be, but he's not the player of last year. Um, But that aside, I don't want to derail it with that. (laughs) That Um, It's all good. (laughs) Love love the rucking um, early development in Williams. He's really getting some lovely height in the way he's he's going for the the ruck knocks. And he's up against um, Goddard and the second string for Claremont's Lakeland. And they're two good ruckmen. I mean, Goddard's... The criticism on him is he doesn't do enough around the ground. He's one of the better tap ruckmen. Um, but Williams Williams looked quite good at, at, at stages there. He's got to get a bit more confidence up that high and start getting it to his midfield advantage. Um, but there were some pleasing signs in that. Jared Brander was put back at uh, as the main key forward. Um, and look... He didn't get a lot of it, but the delivery wasn't fantastic. But he is clean. He he looks class with his clean skills and his ability below the knees. Um, there's something there's something about him I, I'm, I'm still liking. Cameron had a great week previous one, but this week he was he was terrible. He was about thirty five meters out from goal, and you know, shanked and I think he might have kicked it out on the full at one stage going to the eastern end. Mm. Um, look, he, he just wasn't in the game. Um, I think Bailey Bailey Rogers was on him for a for a while in there and I roughed him up a little bit. Um, now Skinny X, what's his name? O'Neill. I'm starting to warm to him. I didn't like the selection when we got him. I didn't like um, that. I thought we we reached for him, but he's starting to put himself in positions where. He'll start to be more and more um prolific in in getting the ball and doing something with it and I like the way when he does get it he looks around and he's got that extra bit of vision um so that, that were the they were some of the key takeaways that I had you a little disappointed Maddie Allen's done a nice you know, he's had a nice body of work the the month prior to when he went over to the travelling emergency to adelaide but um it didn't work out as well for him on um on Sunday. He wasn't as wasn't effect wasn't as effective getting the ball through, and he wasn't quite the bull I was expecting, mind you. Claremont have got um, Mountford, um, Mitchell, and Bolton, which are about as pretty much as about as good uh, starting three midfielders that you can be up against at the waffle level.
2: Yeah, yeah. Look, that's fair to say in terms of the mids on the day for the Beagles, uh, Allen, Archie. Like, Sort of got a little bit lost, and I, I think Archie was probably the pick of those two, but it wasn't anything special by any stretch. Uh, Foley I liked a lot, intercepting out of the back, and yeah. you, you touched on it up front, but Rotham, look, he had a pretty uh, comical moment where he took off down the wing and had a bounce, and the bounce went maybe 10 <laughs> to 15 metres in front of him, and he ended up giving away a free kick, desperately lunging to get it back. But this is a guy that we've seen it in the Collingwood game. He's got poise, he's got a mature head on his shoulders, you know, to get thrust into a situation like that. He looked calm. He always looks calm and in control at waffle level, and I think there's every chance uh, we'll be seeing him this week. Miguel, I'll throw to you on this one. We're now, you know, a solid number of weeks into the Eagles-Beagles-Waffle alignment. What do you make of, of this new team and having the standalone side? How do you think it's impacted the development of these kids? Because... From a results point of view, the Beagles are really starting to slip. They had a few nice wins, but the results aren't there. And, and as the injuries and as the depth start getting a bit tested, you know, a lot's being left to the top-up players. Uh, we're not seeing a lot of mids coming through, this sort of stuff. So there are some question marks. But overall, what do you make of how this Beagles alignment has played out so far?
1: I think it's working. Um, yeah, the the results initially were probably expected, I think. Um, but yeah, as you said, as the, the injury list is... Um, has started to lengthen, and we've you know gone deeper and deeper into the top up squad. Um, yeah, you know, we're we seeing these results where you know we're getting beaten by uh, bottom of the ladder East Perth and bottom of the ladder of the Swan Districts and so on. And yeah, the the loss of McInnes I think as well hurt on the weekend mm. um, left us. Uh, Left is probably short in defence again, um, because and, and no Waterman
2: yeah. as well. I know uh, Asterix touched on it with Branda playing up forward, but it looked like a team devoid of some key posts at both ends.
1: Yeah, yeah, the midfield's I think a real issue. Um, that's where we we should really be dominating. Um, you know, Claremont's midfield is quite good, but you know guys like Archie and and Allen in there, uh, and uh, Ainsworth normally, but he was he didn't play on the weekend. Um, you know, we should be getting more ball out of the midfield I think but we're not getting that at the moment um the defense is working quite well and we've seen that you know we've seen Rotham go up and we've seen Nelson go up last week or the week before for the Adelaide game and you know slot straight in so it's, it's working from that point of view I think but yeah I think the midfield continues to be the issue overall it's it's a massive improvement on the system we had with East Perth um you know just the ability to be able to Say where our guys are playing and and how they're playing is I think a, a massive improvement, but you know, there, there's some issues to work out and with the with the top up guys. A lot of the, the top up guys have been um, probably some of our better players. Like Fisher's been a revelation in defence, mm. and um, Nick Reed's sort of become you know, for a guy that's played midfield um, at amateurs and. Uh, kicked about seven or eight behinds in a row in his first three games as a forward. He, he's now become probably our most effective forward. Um, but yeah, just the uh, the combination of some of the the uh, uh, the guys that are deeper in the top up squad, as well as you know we're b- b- playing a lot of our 18 and 19 year olds. Um, yeah, it's it's going to make the results uh, not pretty, I think, for for a lot of the season.
0: Yeah, that was always going to be the concern about that, and we've actually got a pretty healthy list when you look at the number of players out in comparison to some of the AFL teams. Um, just, just going on the point you said we didn't have the targets, I thought um, most of the game we had Brander and um, either Williams or Brooksby up front. So I, I think there were enough in there, but I don't think they, they just don't know how to play to one another at the moment. So we keep on mucking around and changing who's going to be our key forwards up front and what roles and positions they're playing. So that, that does hurt them. It is tough.
2: Now, while we're talking about depth, and especially while we're talking about midfield depth, which is of keen interest to most people on the board, the under-18s competition, round one of the 2019 under-18s championships, is this weekend. Uh, So it's a little over a month long, and it it all kicks off this weekend. My understanding is there's a game every weekend from now for the next five or six weeks. Is that right? Yes, it
0: started started last week. You had the Saturday um, Big Metro, Big Country game. And Vic Metro got rolled, which was interesting. I was expecting a stronger team this year.
2: Well, with that in mind, WA do indeed face Vic Metro this week at Laugh Saturday at 10am. Now, good timing with you being on the pod and and this all kicking off from a WA perspective. So tell the Eagles fans, what do we need to be looking out for in terms of names, position groups? What do you think is uh, the important things to watch for from the under-18s championships?
0: Well there's two things to look at, two players to specifically look at which are going to be tipped as being number 1 and number 2 in the um, in the pool this year and that's Matt Rowell and Noel Anderson. Um they're playing for Vic Metro. Rowell's a an inside mid and Anderson's a a forward come mid um that I think will be able to make it as a mid. Um and there's probably when when I look at this this draft um I'm thinking well can we do something with Canelio? Or Kelly, and that's likely to take up if we do we do, do a trade, that's going to take up a fair amount of our you know, well, currency in in the in the draft picks. But if we don't then sitting with our first round, Sydney's second round and our second round, that gives us a chance to pick up three pretty good mids. Um, the The way I'm reading this draft is that there's three standouts you add in those two that I mentioned, plus Green who's a GWS uh, academy boy. And then it's actually pretty even from about five through to 15. And there's a lot of talent being spoken about that are general defenders, general forwards. There's not a lot of absolute clear gun inside mid-sitting in that range. Now, that's where we were sitting a little bit last year, uh, two years ago, and Andrew Brayshaw came from about depth ratings of around 20 with about six to eight weeks to go and he jumped up to being number two draft pick. Um, And I do notice each year that the true inside midfielders who are sitting in the mid-teens to early 20s in power ratings and people's boards and so forth, they tend to come in and and become um, tighter or lower in number. And and So take that as it is. Um, Three other good midfielders that I think we should look at from a... Um, or Vic Metro, there's a guy called Ryan Burns. He's an inside mid. He should be a mid to to late first rounder. Trent Bianco, a um, little bit more of an outside mid, but um, he'll should be a, a, a mid again, another mid to first rounder. And there's another guy who's a nuggety little guy, Finn McGinnis. He's a pretty much a balanced mid, and he should be a, in that in that slot around the second second um, round draft picks. Are they all,
1: sorry to interrupt, are they all Vic Metro guys?
0: They're all Vic Metro. Um, Looking at WA, Jeremy Sharp. Now, I think it's bloody funny. You get all these people saying he's a halfback flanker. He's not a halfback flanker in my view. Um, I've seen enough of him and spoken with two or three other guys that are into this. That's where we played him last year. He was bottom age. He was a bit lighter. I saw him play the first game of the season in Claremont versus East Fremantle, so he's already up at the waffle level. He was playing on the wing. And he spent a bit of time on the inside, and he didn't look out of place. He is a top quality guy. I actually think he'll be in the first. You know, it's probably single digits, but he may not. He's he's actually taking a bit of time away from East Fremantle. He's got um, he's got his commitments to Aquinas that he said that's my priority. So he won't come out of that Aquinas priority until the PSA breaks up and he'll go back in the, uh, well, obviously with the championships, but he won't be going back to West Fremantle. And if he does, he's probably going straight back to their waffle team. The other top talents, you've got Luke Jackson. I don't know what height he is. Somewhere around the 200, but these guys are growing all the time. They're only 17 years of age and they continue to grow big time. I don't think we need a Ruckman, so I'm hoping we don't look at him. Uh, We don't say he was too good a value to leave on the board. Uh, Really interesting guy. It's Darren Glass's nephew, Devon Robertson. He's starting to really tear the games up. Um, I think he's one of our. He's in the leadership and might even be captain of the the under 18s. He's just a blue collar inside midfielder that would be brilliant if we could pick him up with say Sydney's second um, second rounder. That that would be a great option. And Trent Rivers. I wasn't as keen on him last year, but, you know, again, another 12 months of development into him. He's really starting to rack up some numbers in the waffle, also in the Colts. Um, really, really pretty impressive. So Trent Rivers, he's starting to rack up the numbers. He's in the 25 to 30 possessions um, and, and, and doing doing very nicely. He'd be someone to look out for. There's a Swans guy. I don't know if you see much of him, um, Miguel, but Cade Waldrop. He's, he's he's pretty promising. And there's a big um, Next Generation Academy guy, I think it is, in Atom Deng. He's he's someone that's a guy I, I know well, a Swans fan. He's, he's starting to make songs as to how good he is. And there's another guy called Bailey Kane. He's a ruckman. He's already 206 centimetre. He's from the Caratha Falcons. Now, I don't know whether he comes from Caratha means we've got some sort of potential with our next generation academy um may well be because we've got the Pilbara area and um Fremantle have the the Kimberley um but yeah they're, they're a couple that I think are names to look after look for see what they they've got to offer and um yeah but Jeremy Sharp he's he'd be the duck's nuts if we could get him he'll be he'll be good
2: so there you go. No clash this weekend. There's a WA boys play on Saturday. Eagles playing on Sunday, which we will get to very shortly. But good opportunity to vary up your football viewing. Personally, I know I'm not a big uh, aficionado when it comes to the under 18. so it'll be a good opportunity for me to pick up a few things. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we can report back next week and, and see that there's a few guns from our local area. <laughs> Moving along and as we look down the line towards the Sydney game, we've got some injuries and a bit of news to cover off first. So we'll have a look at the injuries and a couple of big stories this week. Number one, Shannon Hearn. Uh, he's out at one to two weeks with the hamstring issue. Obviously sat out the fourth quarter of the Bulldogs game and he will miss this week. Now with the bye next week, that one to two time frame isn't the end of the world by any stretch. We should see him back on the Thursday night following the bye. But certainly something to watch and and fingers crossed because Shannon Hearn has been in all Australian form yet again this year. Tom Hickey listed as a test with the ankle injury and I think we'll save that one for now. We might discuss that when we get to our selections for the Sydney game. Uh, And then the other headline news out of this week's report is Tom Barras. So last week they finally put a hard and fast time frame on him at six weeks until his return. So logically, this week he should be listed as five weeks until return, and yet he is not. Three to four weeks. So he's progressing pretty quickly, getting back out on the track shortly as well from all reports. And there are a few guys that one to two weeks or a test, these sorts of guys. There's a couple of guys that need to be monitored from a depth perspective, but Hearn, Hickey, and Barras probably the three headline grabbers from this week's injury report. Now, Miguel, I'll throw to you on this one. A couple of guys still listed as TBC. Nick Nat, as indefinite, and uh, Paddy Bynes, TBC, Harry Edwards, TBC, Venables, unfortunately, TBC with concussion. So I, I saw you uh, had a little bit of a yarn with the club this week about how they're managing these reports. What's your view on all of these guys not yet having a time frame?
1: Well, it was a one-way one, one way yarn because they didn't respond to it. Um, they used to respond when I was tweeting on the the Bigfoot Eagles account and had Hundreds or thousands of followers. Uh, Prestige. You know, yeah, tweeting on my private account with about fifteen followers. Um, they don't bother responding. No. Um, yeah, look with with Nat Nui, um, it's it's and um, to a lesser extent Bynes. It's frustrating. These are you know, long term injuries, and you know Nat Nui. All the talk has been that you know, he'll be playing at some point after the buy. So you know, why you can't put some sort of number on that, and you know, whether it's two to four weeks, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, Venables. Obviously, you know, concussions are a tricky issue, and you know, don't want to put any pressure on him. So, happy for them to leave that. Yep. And, you know, and similar with Edwards with the with a, a foot injury, and I think on the um, one of the Schofield podcasts they said it was a, a navicular injury, which is uh, I think what cost Trent Croed and Maddie Egan and those guys their careers. So, um, yeah, look, take all the time you need with that, but Nat Nui, uh, shades of was it 2017, when they they just put him as uh, he'd be back late 2017 and just left it at that all season, and he had this ridiculous situation where we were in a bloody semi-final and mm-hmm. they were saying he'll be back late 2017. Well, yeah. uh, if this is a late, late 2017, what is it? So I'm surprised, actually, the AFL lets them get away with it. Uh, <laughs> the clubs are required to publish these injury lists, and that's obviously for a reason, and uh, they're making a bit of a mockery of it, which is frustrating. But I can see why they'd want to do it from... Uh, both managing expectations and sort of and to get a competitive advantage over their opponents, you know, if they can do what Essendon did um, with Danaher and just sort of you know all of a sudden that knew he's playing and you know, possibly he's playing on um, on Sunday against Sydney and you know, surprises them and throws all their uh, their preparations out the window, then for the cost of a, a ten thousand dollar fine, you could see why they'd like to do that. But yeah, as a fan, it's frustrating.
2: Mm. Yeah, look, I actually. Keyes made a good point a few weeks ago, and it stuck with me. I was surprised they didn't pull the trigger on it uh, against the Dogs. I've been talked into that despite this post-buy timeline. But, yeah, I can see the club just write a check, bank four points. Seems like a good trade-off to me, Uh, and it's, I suppose, one of the luxuries of being in this situation that the club is from a financial point of view. On that, Nui, Asterix, I'll throw to you on this one. Balls in from the board has asked how we would fit him into the team when it is time for him to come back. So first off, do you think they will sneak him in or do you think they'll give a time frame and he'll work towards that? Or do you think they'll just say, yep, yeah, he's in this week? And secondly, you know, when it, when it is time for him to come back in, assuming our side looks how it looked against the Dogs, what's the change that you'd make to bring him in?
0: Okay, I think they'll just bring him in and announce him it'll be to be confirmed and suddenly it's in there. Bang, yeah. we've got him. Whether, I think it's probably going to be the... Um, the Fremantle game, personally. I, I expect they're going to take a very conservative approach. And where would I fit him in? I'm not sure I want to play him as a forward. I don't think it's necessary right to bring him a forward. I would just turn around and say, let's ruck him and let's get him to play 50% of the game time. Where we've got another dominant ruckman such as Gorn or Grundy, then I'd be putting Hickey and Vardy in the, in the role to back him up. Other than that, it's over to you, Oscar. That's just me. And if, if um, Nat Nui's not rucking, he's sitting on the bench. He's just such a differentiator. You don't want to muck around with him in the forward pocket. And My concern is you're going to have a a, a, a gut-running defender mans up on Nat Nui and they're going to try to run him all over the place. That's what I'd be doing if I was coaching against Nat Nui in the forward pocket. Just run run, run crazy and make make sure you tire him out.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the talk has obviously been of him resting forward, but you're right, time on ground was never a strength of Nat Nui, even at his peak, so that's certainly one uh, approach they could take. Miguel, for you, is there a particular change that you'd be making for the Nat Nui uh, in when, when it does come time to bring him back into the side?
1: No, I think that's has hit the nail on the head there. Um sort of you're looking at him at um you know, coming in and taking Oscar Allen's role, but Allen I was just looking at his game time. He's been playing, you know, seventy five to eighty five percent of game time, which um you wouldn't know Nat knew he wasn't doing that um when he came back from his first knee recon, so there's no way he's gonna be doing it here. So yeah, it would would necessitate a change. Um which yeah is going to throw us around a bit um, it is it's it's attractive having him in the forward line and you know having defenders shitting themselves having the ball coming in you know particularly if it's coming in off a center bounce um, and it's it's 6 on 6 so it's one on one and you know he's going to be sitting on your head but yeah just the um, where do we fit him in in that forward line given that you know Allen and Kennedy and Darling are all sort of getting in each other's way a little bit. So if you add Nat Nui into that, even if you add Nat Nui in Allen's spot, it might get a bit messy, and, and with his fitness, it might allow them to sort of yeah, put someone running off. So, yeah, I think Asterix has hit the nail on the head there. Just sort of yeah, play him as a ruck and, and off the ground and adjust the rotations accordingly.
2: Very good. Well, one more bit of news before we move on to the main event for this week, and that is that Mick Malthouse was inducted last night into the AFL Hall of Fame. Obviously a landmark figure in the Eagles club history, 243 games coached, finals every year under Malthouse and three grand finals, two premierships. Obviously the footy landscape was very different for a club from Western Australia back then, and the powerhouse that we know and love now has not always been the case, so... Uh, Asterix, we'll start with you. Is there a particular Malthouse, perhaps a memory or any one game that stands out? You know, looking back at his time, how do you how do you judge his tenure with the club?
0: Well, I just think he and uh, Wurstfold were brilliant as captain and coach. That they were ruthless and tough. And I went to a number of games in some pretty hostile environments at Victoria Park, Windy Hill, where they tied up the wind sockets. Um, you know, there's, there's none of this integrity issue that uh, they'll talk about nowadays. It's get whatever advantage you can. So West Coast had to be tough. They they had this pack where they went back into the gym and they they beefed up big time. And yeah, I just remember you'd see them at quarter time, three quarter time, very comfortably doing the hairdryer spray at players. None of this be nice to millennials crap. Um, you just go for it. So he he brought them up in a tough way, uh, and um, you knew where you stood with him. That uh, that was brilliant. So that was what coaching was about in those those eras. Um, understand the touchy feely is far more relevant nowadays. Um, but you didn't you didn't have the full time professional support team that you have nowadays. Um, he had to deliver all the messages. Yeah, you know, I remember hearing about. Um, Simpson saying, no, 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 my job at half time in the grand final was to put my arm round Jack, and to tell him how how close he was to to just getting there, and the other coaches were the ones giving the sprays, the the, the line coaches. Well, you know, it was it was remarkable that he had to do all of that. You just couldn't pick and choose. Go, okay, great, great, great person that came in, tough, led us through. Um Probably we underachieved in the nineties. I think two premierships wasn't enough compared to the, the the quality of the list and the players that we had. So in some regards he was there as the saviour in the breakthrough, but really three would have been in in looking in, in retrospect fair um fair a good return. So I think there was one left on in the um one left on the table in that nineties period with him. But great coach.
1: Having having said that, I mean I don't know how many coaches have been at the same club for a decade and the teams made finals every year in that decade. So that was, yeah, yeah that's pretty remarkable. Um, yeah, the, the later nineties sort of weren't as successful, obviously, as the early nineties, but yeah, they, they, they were my sort of memories of Malthouse as well. And I was pretty young, um, in the nineties, but yeah, I remember him. I remember one serve he gave uh Djakovic at probably at three quarter time of game at the Wacker where um I think Djakovic had sort of had burnt a teammate and had a shot on goal that missed and Yeah, he got a he got a um a real serve. So yeah, his his um his attacks on his own players and his attacks on the media were pretty fantastic to watch as a as a young kid. <laughs> did
0: did you hear that interview with Djakovic where Kerry pulled his pants down at the Wacker one night? And um, Malthouse went up to Jakovic and said, basically, you were Kerry's bitch. <laughs> are you capable of standing up like a man to beat him? Or do I have to have someone else filling in and playing your position? you got 10 years ahead of this, son. What are you going to do? And that's and that came. There, there were words to that effect.
1: Yeah. And, and, so, and so that set the table for the. The Jackovich V. Kerry battles for the rest It of
0: was, it was. That's it. That's it. Yeah. You know, and again, it's not politically correct. You can't go and say that. But son, are you are you too soft to play that position? And if so, tell me now, and I'll get someone else to come in and play that role. He responded brilliantly.
2: <laughs> All right time to move on to the main event and it is a huge one this week we've had a few games now where you know the club has delivered and we're starting to build into some really nice form, well they've hit it at just the right time because the West Coast Eagles play the Sydney Swans this Sunday at the SCG a venue where the club has not won since 1999, so we're 0-7 against the Swans in that time frame uh, we've had a couple of tough close losses we've had a couple of pretty disappointing blowout losses and despite that Eagles-Swans rivalry, you know, they're trading close losses back and forward and all of this. It's a ground that we've not managed to crack for two decades. So, Miguel, I'll start with you. Swans aren't in crash-hot form either themselves, a down year, but it always seems like they start slowly and then build back up. Are you nervous? Are you excited? Are you hopeful? Are you stressful? You know, what what are you feeling ahead of what could be a pretty important trip to the SCG?
1: Very nervous, I'd say. Um, this is probably our one remaining hoodoo, uh, maybe with Cadinia Park, I suppose. But, yeah, haven't won there since 99. I think we've lost our last eight, is it? Um,
2: yeah, there's a game against North there. Uh, yeah. So it's eight in a row, but it's seven in a row against Sydney, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, we haven't won uh, even uh, in that run we had against Sydney, and we were playing most of those games at um, Telstra Stadium. Mm. We won there by a point, but that might be – we didn't have a great record there either. Um, so, yeah, this is sort of the one remaining hoodoo made difficult by Hearn coming out. That's a big loss for us. Um, the, the size of the ground is you know, massively different to to Optus and the MCG, and you know, we've we've improved our record now on the MCG now that we've got Optus as our home ground, but – yeah, the, the questions, whether our game style will, um, will stack up at the, the shorter ground and yeah, how we'll go with our tall forward line, um, how we'll match up on their tall forwards with, with her now. So, yeah, Sydney, um, not in the best form. Um, also, haven't sort of made SCG the, the fortress in the last couple of years that it, it had been in the past. They've lost quite a few there. Um, so if we're ever going to break that run. This is the game, but, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous about it. I haven't checked the odds, but I suspect they'll flatter us because it's a real, real danger game.
2: Asterisks, if you have a look at the changes to the Swans' side since we played them last. So last year we played them, uh, seven goals, 15 we kicked and lost by 15 points, so a disappointing conversion on a short margin. But since then, the Swans have lost Grundy, they've lost Kennedy, Cunningham, Nick Smith, Zach Jones... Harry Marsh, Kieran Jack, Dan Hannabury, Gary Rowan. Fair few guys, fair few soldiers have gone down for, uh, for the Swans since we played them last, thanks to Zerg Minion as well for that list, by the way. But the Eagles side, you know, we're, we're coming in in good form. Swans aren't in great form. What are you anticipating is going to play out this Sunday?
0: I'm actually reasonably positive about our chances this weekend. Um, I think this is game six on our run of ten in a row to replicate what we did last year. So I think we gotta, we gotta stop thinking about the defeat. No, seriously, the, 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 the size of the ground, um, buddy, buddy on a smaller ground's a lot harder than buddy on an, on a bigger ground, I find. I think they've got a lot of smaller name plus, lesser name players that have been putting in the, uh, you know, the papalias, the, um, of this world. They're, they're quality enough in their discipline that Longmire's got them in, but, I think they're still playing too negative a football, which is why they're losing so many of their games at home. Um, they haven't put a, a, a style in place that will ensure that they can win. I actually look Shannon Hearn's out, but I'm not that uncomfortable with thinking Rotham slipping into that role. They've got um, Reed and Buddy, and I think Reed McGovern will pick him up. Buddy will pick up, um, be picked up by Schofield and McCartan. Or Blakely will get picked up by rather, rather than that they're pretty good matchups, and Shep well, he can play on either of those two quite happily. I think we've got them reasonably covered um without their their dominating midfield that they've had. I mean Luke Parker's about the only really dominant midfielder that's likely to be playing this weekend. He is good, um but you know they're they're a long way from where they were two years ago, so I, I think it'll come down to. Um, Vardy will compete quite nicely against um, Sinclair. They haven't got a dominant ruckman, so Vardy will hold his own. And I think the belief is growing in our midfield that they're, we're pretty damn good. So I don't know what the weather's like. Last couple, last couple of times we've played them, it's been wet. And you know, let's hope like crazy they don't do he bring Brander in. As the token, token replacement for um, for Hearn and give you know him a difficult away game. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's coming.
2: <laughs> Perfect time to bring him in. They debuted him last year and uh, bring it all full circle in a year. So, Sunday, it is going to be a maximum of 21, light wins, 0% chance of rain. So, that's one hoodoo or question mark or, you know, just, just something to settle the nerves a little bit. With Sydney, for me, I think scoring is, you know, you touched on their negative game style there. Scoring is the issue for Sydney, and whether that means the Eagles can come onto the park and go full-blown aggressive offensive and try and rack up a score, pretty much you hit 80 points, you will beat Sydney by the sheer virtue of the fact that they do not hit 80 points. So they scored 93 against Carlton, they scored 81 in a pretty solid loss to Brisbane. So aside from that, they haven't cracked 80 all season in their 11 tries, Pretty much, if you can get at Sydney and put a few goals on the board early, I think that there is every chance we could win this game. Now, fair enough, I am a little nervous just because of our history at the ground, and it's a, it's a smaller venue. The game style doesn't hold up. Sydney are very negative, as you've all touched on there, but I think there is cause for a little bit of optimism this week, certainly more so than some previous trips to the SCG. <laughs> uh, Miguel, look, we'll do changes now. Obviously, the Hearn change will be enforced and Hickey listed as a test. Vardy's starting to come into a bit of form. Are there any other unforced changes you'd be making or where do you sit in terms of team selection at the
1: moment? I'd only make the one change, which is Rotham for Hearn. I wouldn't be unhappy with Nelson coming in for Hearn, but I think, um, and and Asterix went through the matchups in defence, but Sydney do have a pretty tall forward line. So, uh, yeah, I think Rotham's the the better in uh, from that point of view. Uh, Hickey, he's been test for about the last three weeks. He hasn't played, he's played one game since that, his massive game against Geelong. Um, he's just, I think he needs to have a run in the waffle if he's fit this week. Uh, he's, he's missed a lot of football and that, that'll cause issues with, um, Hickey and Brooksby and Williams all on the same side, but uh, they can, they can sort that out at waffle level. Um, so I think Vardy gets another week. Uh, he's, Pretty Good matchup for Sinclair, and um, talking about how Vardy struggles against the, the taller Ruckman, you know, Sinclair's only about 200 centimetres, so and he's not particularly physical. So, I think that's one that we can you know, rely on Vardy and, and Alan to do the job.
0: Yeah, bloody well, question. What about Hutchings? Because if there's one position, if we don't have a tag for Hutchings, do you still want him in the team? Who's the option
2: in terms of replacing well,
0: that's that's the issue. We don't have a midfielder that's coming up and saying, pick me. Mm. Um, it, you know, Ainsworth hasn't, yeah, he was the travelling emergency. He hadn't done enough at the waffle level in the previous two or three weeks for me to say, yes, pick him. He's been solid, but March, um, he's not it. So I think you probably keep him because he's our next most creative mid at this stage. But it would be nice to have someone knocking on the door saying, no, 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 no tag, you need to pick me.
1: Hmm. He's um, Hutchings has sort of taken, from what I've seen anyway, seems to have taken over Maston's role as a sort of the, the defensive running wingman. Yep. And there's there's one obvious guy I think who could come in and play that role <laughs> as a defensive wingman on the SCG in a tougher away game to uh, play. And the, that's Jared Brander. So
2: ah, very good, very good. I was going to say to play the Chris Maston role, who would that be? But it's Jared Brander. Good option. Oh,
1: actually, yeah. Well, that, that's another one, I suppose. But no, no, no. Nah, Settle down. What it, yeah, whatever Maston's been sent back to work on, I don't know if he um nah. I, I don't know if he worked enough on it on the weekend.
2: Asterix for you, any changes other than Hearn for Rotham which we've touched on? How do you see the ruck battle playing out?
0: Oh I think um, Vardy will actually get the better of, uh, of sinkers of for feeling quite comfortable in that space. And look I've I've actually been quite impressed with especially last week, how um, Oscar Allen went in the ruck. Mm-hmm. Yep. He he's he is much better than I. When I read that he was being trialed as a key forward who can ruck, I was thinking, oh. but no, he's 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 getting up quite high actually.
2: He's follow-up work once the ball hits the deck as well. You know, he, yep. he's relentless in his pursuit of the ball, and and on the odd occasion he's getting it. He roved his own tap on the weekend uh, at one inch yes. in the wing. So. Yeah, Oscar Allen. I mean, he's just a gem to watch play. It, relentless and, you know, sacrifices his body. He just wants the footy. It's great to watch. Yeah. Uh, look, as we've touched on, Sydney, not in crash-hot form. They're not a high-scoring side. The ball doesn't flow particularly freely, but they do have some weapons. Uh, and they've certainly got a few ways to punish us if we if we get the matchups wrong, particularly down back. Now, Asterix, you've touched on those matchups down the back line. But what about our mids? They really came to the fore in the second half of the Adelaide game. They threatened to, you know, the first five minutes of the Bulldogs game, I thought, hang on, we're on for 200 points here. They were flying all over the place, Yo and Shuey, these sorts of guys. And then again in the second half, they wrestled things back onto their terms. So we've seen that they can do it. Uh, Asterix, what are you expecting out of that matchup in the midfield?
0: Oh, you always get a hard slog against Sydney. They'll be in there scragging and biting and kicking and whatever else they do. Just we've got to stay tough. And then, actually, like you said, I thought the first three or four minutes of the Doggies game, we came out tackling ferociously. And I said to the person next to me, I said, we're on tonight. You can see our mids going. Um, and then, as you say, we, we we actually adjusted later on. I'm seeing the combination of Yo, um, Redding, Redding, sorry, Gaff and uh, Shuey. I think people in Melbourne are starting to recognise that that's as good pretty much as good a four as there are going around. Certainly, maybe not quite, you know, you take the Collingwood and maybe the the Geelong starting four, but um, yeah, I, I, I expect us to win in the ruck, win in the midfield. That's why I'm a little bit more confident than I am normally going to Sydney.
2: Pretty exciting. Fingers crossed for the best. Uh, We might as well stay with you then for a prediction. So in terms of you're obviously going to tip us to win, um, picking up up on those vibes. So what's the margin going to be and who's going to be the best eagle? Uh,
0: Gaff's Gaff's going to take it to another level and start to bring him into Brownlow consideration after this weekend. And it's West Coast by thirteen.
2: Very good. Now Miguel, over to you for your predictions. We've had a few solid weeks on the tips in the last couple of weeks, so hit us up with the correct one this time, and please, for the love of God, save the Eagles.
1: Geez, <laughs> um, I'm just picturing Gaff winning a Brownlow and the media going absolutely berserk. Um, uh, look, yeah, having said it, it's a danger game, this is um, this is one that we really should win with the form we're in, and yeah, it'd be nice to to go into the buy. Nine three on a six-game winning streak and having killed off another hoodoo, uh, so I'll pick us to win by. Sorry, I missed what Asterix said. Thirteen. Um, oh, okay, I'll double that. Twenty six. Wow. And um, best on um, uh, uh, Kennedy to jump back after you know, Darling took some of his thunder last week, and um, so Kennedy to kick bag of let's say five um, against uh, against Sydney and shoot back into the lead and the the goal-kicking.
2: Very good. Now, last week there was a bit of a mad scramble to pick Kennedy as the best on. Obviously, he's got a great track record against the Dogs. I was hoping to pick Kennedy, but it was taken right before I went, so I panicked and picked Jack Darling for five goals. Turns out he kicked six, so, you know, I'll I'll put that one away as another accidental win for my tips. Thanks very much. (laughs) Uh, For me, yes, I really do hope the Eagles win. I think they can win. Like I say, scoring is an issue, so if we can crack... You know, if we crack 80, we're probably going to win. If we can crack 90, we should be starting to feel pretty confident. So I would suggest the Eagles are going to win. They'll win by 15. And Elliot Yeoh, uh, he had a bit of a down week last week in terms of his tackling. But prior to that, he was just ridiculous, just angry. This bull in a china shop, you know, wrecking everything, coming through. He's got the footy, he's got the skills, he's got the aggression. And on a small ground, he can be kicking goals. If he gets the, the ruck tap and takes off... I have no doubt that he can get the distance straight out of the clearance. So, uh, Elliot Yo, fingers crossed for best on ground this week. Uh, all right, moving on to question time. And we already answered one question previously with regards to Nick Nat. And there's one more for the week. It comes from Quinns. Uh, Miguel, we'll start with you on this one. It's a man we've talked about at length on this podcast, but we've got time for one more. Andrew Gaff. Quins asks if his significantly increased output in the last couple of weeks is that the cause or the result of our good form. Yes, <laughs> perfect.
1: Uh, a little bit of both. I think the the midfield overall has lifted, uh, and he's been a part of that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's all down to him. Um, but yeah, certainly the um, you know, Yo and Shuey lifting around him has um, has improved his output. Uh, he. I don't think he sort of – he doesn't get the first touch. He's sort of the first receiver. So he's relying on, um, on yeah, Yo, um, Sheed and Shui to, to get first hands and get it to him. So, uh, yeah, a little bit probably the latter. I think it's it's a bit more of a result that when he's – when they're getting first hands on the ball, then he's getting a bit more of it. But um, his disposal's improved as well. You know, he's, um, he's not doing the quick blind snaps. He's sort of – he's um, yeah, looking and, and – um, assessing his options a bit more. So, yeah, a little from column A and a little from column B.
0: Asterix, over to you. I think they're learning how to play together as a four or five some in there around the round the ball. And um, that's where Elliot stood up and said, OK, we don't have another bull, I'm going to be it. Um, so, yeah, I think the midfield as a team have got their act together. And, yeah, you're right in the sense that the, 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 when the ball comes loose or it's passed out, that's where Gaff's coming onto it. So he, you can't say he's driving it. Um, I think Shuey's the one in there who's directing and guiding them. And that last quarter against Adelaide was just magic. So I think Shuey's driving it, and I think he's he's driving it with some really strong support um, right behind him in... in um, in Gaff and uh, Sheed, actually she's playing some pretty good football, and, and Elliot Yeo and 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 Redden. So there's five of them. Great, they're doing very well.
2: All right, that's probably all we've got time for this week. Thanks very much, uh, as always, for listening. And if you do have any questions, as always, just chuck them in the thread or send a message to any of the contributors to the podcast. But with that, we've got a new contributor to the podcast this week. It's been a great first week. Thanks very much for coming on the show, Asterix the
0: Thank you very much. been a lot of fun.
2: As always, Miguel, as said at the top, by popular demand, we'll uh, put a poll out there and gauge how popular that demand is this week. But thanks once again for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah, don't worry about the poll. I'm happy to just take your word for it. I don't want that (laughs) sort of messed up by actual facts or anything.
2: Yeah, who needs those? Uh, All right, well, perfect. Look, as I say, thanks very much for listening. Questions in the thread. Fingers crossed for all the best this week for the Eagles. It would be a fantastic way to go into the bye, burying a two-decade-long hoodoo. So fingers crossed for that. We will see you on the boards. Other than that, thanks as always. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.